uh, the Word of God this morning. We're going to talk about comforting the suffering. Last week, again, we went through uh, a lot of the issues that existed in that Corinthian church, and now we're going to take it down a level. In fact, quite a few levels, if you will. We're going to talk about comforting the suffering. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll read a passage together, then we'll get into this uh, verse by verse, as we like to do here, teaching God's Word, peeling God's Word, one passage at a time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read the first seven verses, we'll pray, and we'll get into our message this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Now, Achaia, again, is the region. Corinth is in that region. So if you think of a map, and uh, many of you have been to Greece or know where Greece is, Corinth, Achaia is right below where modern-day Greece is. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all what? Comfort. You're going to keep seeing that word now as we go through the text. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Father, I pray now that as we open up the only book you've ever given to us, the precious word of God that you'd speak to us this morning. Father, there are many here, many that we know of that just in the past several months, in the past year, have gone through unbelievably difficult times. The burdens that many carry here this morning, to some may seem even insurmountable, but Father, we're going to look this morning at no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how tough the tribulations, no matter how difficult the sufferings and afflictions, that you're there for us and that you love us and that you'll help us get through these most difficult times. So, Father, I pray that you do what only you can do this morning. Would you please uh, uh, work in the hearts, especially those that are going through difficult times today. Father, would you encourage them, motivate them, and just as you've promised to be, a, if you will, that friend, that shepherd that cares for them so deeply. So, Lord, we commit this morning to you. We pray that if any are here that have never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that they might find him this morning before they leave. Bless each thing that's done now. We commit it all to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we, once again, as we open up this passage, we're going to be talking about comforting the suffering. And uh, uh, in the prayer this morning that I just gave, I know, I mean, I know, uh, and that's why when, when I started out with, I know who you are, most of you, I know at least somewhat well, and I know your names, and I know who you are. And then when 
uh, tough times come and afflictions come, you share those with me or maybe sometimes with your uh, uh, deacon, uh, your care leader, and uh, that gets to us. And it's like there's a lot of suffering that's been going on in our church because of sickness. Because I mean, there's some, just some severe, severe sickness. I'm not talking about about with COVID right now or, uh, or the flu or a little something. I'm talking about folks that are seriously, seriously ill with cancer and other afflictions that they're going through. And uh, uh, sometimes you come and it's like, uh, oh boy, does anybody understand how difficult it is? Uh, does anybody understand what I'm going through on a daily basis? Do they understand that when I walk in here, my heart's broke? I may have a, a bit of a smile on my face and I, I try to be kind to folks, and I, and, and, but do they understand my heart is broken and, and I'm, I'm upset and I don't know where to turn to sometimes? And, and folks, as we go through this this morning, uh, Certain of you have a, a gift, and there's a giftedness that's called a mercy shower. And I've watched, uh, and, I, and I do watch, and I've seen those of you that have that gift of mercy showing, and I've watched as you've come alongside uh, some of these folks that are just going through devastating times. And uh, you'll put your arm around them, and you'll take them out to eat, or you'll ta- go to uh, their home or do something privately with them. And, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And folks, we need that so much. Uh, uh, those folks that are able to show mercy and say, well, I don't know that I got the gift of mercy showing. Well, we all, uh, we all can uh, at least sympathize with folks and empathize with folks and uh, gather around them and encourage them and write them letters and emails and text messages and uh, give them a hug when they're here and say, listen, we're for you, we're praying for you. And by the way, if you tell somebody you're praying for them, pray for them. Uh, that's, uh, we don't do like the politicians do uh, and they're, oh, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Ah, give me that nonsense. Your thoughts and prayers aren't with anybody. Um, it, it, did I say that? I'm sorry. I said I'd be nice this morning. And uh, uh, no, but when you say, uh, uh, every, folks will write me and, and they'll text me, and I'm not even close to starting yet, but we'll get there. And uh, they'll say, uh, Pastor, would you, would, you, would you pray for this? Uh, folks, every t- and I mean this, every single time one of you sends me something like that, I stop right there. And I usually text you back moments thereafter and said, listen, I'm pausing to pray for you right now. I'm, that's no joke. I'm dead serious. I pause, I stop, I pray for you, put you on the prayer list, and uh, I, take it, I take it seriously. So when I say I'm going to pray for you, uh, 90% of the time, if, unless uh, conditions don't exist where I can do it at the moment, somebody says, listen, Rich, would you pray for me? And uh, I'm like, fine, let's go in the office. We're going to do it right now. I, I don't want to skip it. I don't want to forget uh, it's important. So uh, it's part of this comforting the suffering. Well, let's get into the text. Now, we've already gone through the first three verses. I'm not going to go through them again, uh, but simply we went through the introduction regarding Paul, Timothy, the Corinthian church, and we're just going to look at the, uh, read the first three verses, then we're going to get into where we want to get to this morning. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, a called out one, one who had seen Christ, after, quite frankly, after Christ was resurrected. Uh, uh, Jesus appears to Paul after his ascension on what? The road to Damascus and calls him to be an apostle uh, specifically to the Gentiles, not to the exclusion of Jews, but he was an apostle, a sent one, a called out one of Jesus Christ by what? God's will. Paul had a mission that God gave to him to reach folks for Christ. One of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest Christian servants that ever has lived on this earth. 
And Timothy, remember who Timothy was very quickly? Timothy was one that Paul actually led to the Lord. So he calls him my son in the faith. You see, when uh, uh, you get saved, I got lots of brothers and sisters. You say, well, uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? So many, I don't know how many. You say, wow, how'd that happen? Well, you see, every single person that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, they're my brothers and my sisters. Uh, you'll hear sometimes somebody will say, well, Brother Rich, how you doing? Uh, I'm not literally related to them by blood, but they're my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ. So we have lots of brothers and sisters. Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth and all the saints who are in Achaia. Now, we talked about the word saints. Sometimes you come out of a certain denominational backgrounds and it's like, well, there's only a handful of saints and they've, they've been venerized by uh, whatever particular church. They, but that's not what the, the biblical definition of saints is. The Bible definition of saints is any single person that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a saint. So uh, we've elevated that word way beyond what uh, the biblical intent was. But if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, by definition, biblical definition, maybe not a liturgical one, but by biblical definition, God calls you a saint. So basically, what's he saying? Listen, Union Grove Baptist Church, to all the believers, all the saints, same concept, all right, which is at Corinth, grace to you. Grace to what? We talk about it every single week here. Grace is God's free and merited gift of salvation to every single person who put their faith and trust in him grace to you god's grace and peace well there's no better word to talk about and associate when we're going to comforting than talking about peace with god here we have peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the god of what mercies and god of all comfort Folks, I could go through story after story as same as you could. Counts, I, again, I don't like the word story. Story kind of insinuates something that isn't true, which I never do hear from the pulpit. Everything we talk about is true. I'm going to start out with a heartbreaking scenario that happened back when I was in the law enforcement world. Now, those that are visiting, I, uh, I've been in ministry for well over 40 years. I was bivocational in that uh, I also was with the sheriff's office, had uh, actually was the sheriff of Milwaukee County for a couple of years. You say, well, how's a sheriff be, get to be a preacher? Well, it's a long story, but uh, we've got uh, full regalia, a couple of do- earned doctors in theology and all that. You say, well, why do you bring that up? Folks, there's people here that are like, you are from where and you do what? And uh, just to let you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of them there trained preachers. <laughs> But besides all that, when I was with the sheriff's office and uh, Sheriff Clark was still the sheriff at that time, I was his number two guy, and I got a, got a call. And uh, it's the call you never, ever, ever, ever want to hear in law enforcement. And uh, one of our wonderful, wonderful deputies had been seriously injured in an accident. So we didn't know, it, I didn't know at that time what his status was, and I knew it was critical, extremely critical at minimum. I drove out to the place where this person's wife worked, and they, of course, every time someone gets that call, it's like, uh, I'm so sorry, uh, I need to come get you and take you to the hospital. Your 
husband's been in a very, very serious accident. I didn't know if he was dead or alive at that time, but I knew he was very critical. And I went to the place, uh, of course, his wife is, and this was just a wonderful family, uh, young teenage boys, and uh, mom, it was just a wonderful family. They loved each other. It was a strong family. And she gets in the squad, and we we begin to uh, head down towards the hospital, and I get a call on the way down that uh, it's not good. You get to the hospital, and she walks in and knows that he's gone. You try and think, what, what can I do? I'm a, I'm, I'm, I've been in ministry for years and years and years, and, and she's heartbroken, and you know she's going to be heartbroken, and it's devastating. That morning, it's a young family, and uh, they'd spent time together. They ate breakfast together, and everything seemed wonderful, and the kids went off to do uh, the teens. Uh, I believe one uh, were in school, and I don't remember all the scenario, but it's like they got to call the boys up and get them to show up at the hospital. And it's like, what can you do? How can you comfort him? How can you help him through this? The boys show up, and it's like, I don't know how they're going to respond. I have a fairly good idea how they're going to respond. Do you grab them and try and hug them? Do you try and help them? Do you just let them do whatever it's going to take for them to get through the grieving process? And you want to do something. And folks, all the time, when you hear about somebody going through a tragedy in tough times, we want to do something. If you have compassion in a heart, the boys walked in and realized that daddy was gone. Can you imagine eating breakfast with your with your dad in the morning? And the next thing it's a call and you walk into a hospital room totally off guard and they tell you daddy's gone. Their reaction was as you would anticipate. For someone who loves their children, they're screaming. They're agonizing. There's no way they could be comforted. Nothing I could do. Nothing anyone could do. They had to go through that initial shock and grieving process and not with somebody who they had no clue who he was or she was. And the tears flow. The screaming continues for a bit until they can finally settle down a little bit. Folks, you, listen to me, you never, ever, ever get over that. You don't get over it. You never forget what happened that day. You never forget the pain that you felt. You never forget the loneliness that you felt. You'll never forget the person that passed away. But, but, can God comfort you through this most difficult, horrific event that took place. Many of you have gone through that same exact scenario, maybe not from a terrible accident, but through sickness, through someone who unexpectedly got sick and passed away, and we've had several folks like that. Some of you have gone through where, yes, uh, maybe it's a, a mom or a dad or a grandparent, and they were a bit on much more advanced in age, but you never forget. Do I forget the day when my mom passed away some 16 years ago when I was in the hospital room and John was there 
Seacash, and my wife was there, and other family members were there. You never forget that. Now, can I cope with it now? Of course. Am I comforted that mom's in heaven? I'm comforted by that. You say, how do you know that? Don't go away. I'll tell you how I know that a little bit later. But I know she was a Christian. I know she had trusted Christ. I knew she was in heaven. And many of you go through the same thing. And it's like, can I ever find comfort? Can my life ever proceed again? Can I ever get through the heartache that took place? So uh, for the few years that I was still at the sheriff's office before I retired, and you go to the events and you go to uh, the memorials, and the boys would show up. They're not crying anymore. When I see them, they, they, instead of pushing you away like they did that first day when they were beside themselves, they come up and give you a hug or shake your hand, and uh, you get through it, and, and time helps heal. But folks, there's someone else that can bring a tremendous amount of healing and comfort that a human can't. And, and the Bible says, uh, God who comforts us in all our what? A tribulation. Folks, uh, uh, every single one of you, Every single person sitting here will go through tribulation. You will go through suffering. You will go through affliction. You say, well, that's never happened to me. Well, praise the Lord. It's coming, though. You see, in this world, you cannot escape bad outcomes. You cannot escape death. You cannot escape heartaches. You cannot escape people treating you poorly. You cannot escape if you're a solid uh, believer in Christ. You cannot escape at times persecution. Folks, it's what we live in. It is our society. But God is the one who comforts us in all our tribulation. Have you ever said like the psalmist, Psalm chapter 10, verse 1, why, and he's speaking to God here, and this is in the Psalms. This is the, it's inspired writings. Why do you, God, stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? You see, when the, when the tough times come, sometimes instead of immediately falling on our face and turning to God and saying, Lord, I need your help uh, this morning or this evening or this afternoon, uh, sometimes we, we, we get mad and we shake our fist to God and say, how could you let this happen? Where were you when I needed you? It's a common response, which is why God puts it in the Scriptures. Psalm 44, Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Now, some of you have been there. So distraught, so upset, so destroyed, so afflicted by the tribulation you're going through that sometimes you just throw yourself on your bed or you throw yourself on the floor or you put, you just... I, there's no, I can't be comforted. God, where are you? And, and it's like, there's no hope. There's no hope. There's no hope. Folks, you know why people jump off bridges? You know why people take guns to their heads? Do you know why people commit suicide? Because they have no hope. There's no hope. And God says, listen, there is hope. There is help. There, there is comfort there. there. When you're going through the toughest times of life, and it's like, I can't take it anymore. And God says, listen, I'm there. I'm right beside you. Would you just stop for a moment? Would you stop running for me? Would you turn your face to me? Would you not do what the psalmist did? Oh, yeah, for a minute. It's like, where are you, God? Where'd you go? I can't take it anymore. And God says, listen, just settle down. I'm right here. I'm right here. I know when I... When I would come home from school on occasion, and some of you, I'm sure, have gone through the same thing, and some of our young folks in our teens, and you had a bad day, 
and somebody picked on you or you had a bully or you did bad in school and you come home and, and you're just beside yourself and uh, I'd go into my bedroom and slam the door and put my earphones on and start listening to music to try and escape from whatever happened that day. And then, and then in comes mama. <laughs> in comes mommy. And uh, you say, mommy, you're a teenage boy when this happened. You call her mommy. Well, I do today. I don't know if I would back then, but I do today. And uh, mommy would come in, and she, she loved her boy. And uh, she knew he was beside himself and a little upset about something, and she'd walk in in her sweet way, uh, like many of you do, and uh, walks in and say, what's the matter, son? What, what happened, Rich? And uh, I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. By the way, folks, when you shut yourself down, when you don't want to talk about it, you're not doing yourself any favors. It's like if you trust the person, you love the person, and they're there, and, and they come in, and they're like, listen, I can tell you're having a tough day, you're having a bad day. Uh, don't walk in and say, what's your problem? Why don't you knock it off? You know that doesn't help? Usually doesn't. Now, in a few times, sometimes somebody might be sulking a little too long, and you've got to shake them out of it a bit, but... Most of the time when somebody's first hurting, they don't need you to walk in and say, what's your problem? Knock it off. Get back in the program. They need somebody to come alongside them and love on them a bit and help them. And you got to get it out. I don't like telling anybody my troubles. Well, that's why you're holding anger potentially or bitterness or you're still upset because you refuse to share it and deal with it and get it out. And God said, listen, I'm the God of all comfort. I'm here for you. Oh, by the way, Dear Lord, man, I had a rough day today. It didn't go well. I've gone through some horrible, tough things. You know you can talk to God and let him know what's on your heart. Did you know you can do that? And uh, talk to him and, and uh, tell him, listen, God, where are you? That's what the psalmist did. That's exactly what it, where are you? What's going on here? And uh, have a little chat with the Lord and get alone with him and spend some time with him and share your burdens with him. You remember the guy named Job? Lost everything, lost his riches, lost his family. Everything was gone. And Job finally said, listen, man, he, you talk about a guy that had a right to be a little upset. <laughs> I mean, he lost everything. And here's what Job says. After all, his friends gave him all this wonderful, rotten advice and uh, told him he's not right with God and you need to do this. And, and Job said, wait a second, guys. Though he slay me, I'm still going to trust in him. I'm still going to love him because I know God cares about me. Prophet Habakkuk, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence and before me? There is strife and contention arises. If you remember the prophet Habakkuk, and we talked about him in the Minor Prophet series on Wednesday nights, and uh, he was watching a wicked group of Babylonians come in to destroy his country. You know why God was destroying the southern kingdom at that time? Because they weren't walking with God. And Habakkuk seen this, and he's like, God, how can you use this pagan Babylonians to come in here and chastise God, your people, the, the Jewish people in Judea? And he's crying out, God, I don't understand it. Oh, folks, do you ever say that? I don't understand it. I know you do. You say, Pastor, have you ever done that? Of course I have. Every time a tragedy happens, something that just is like, I, 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 and it's one of God's people. 
and with folks that are in this room right now. I'm like, God, don't tell him I said this, but he already knows. I'm like, God, how could you let that happen? How could, how could that happen? And for a moment, you get a little off-centered, and you get a little bit off-track from the sovereignty of God and why he does allow things to happen. And in our humanity, in my carnal flesh, if you will, I say, Lord, these are good people. These are wonderful people. I love these folks. And they've just had this horrible tragedy enter in. I'm like, you say, do you ever question God? Have you ever questioned God? I'm going to give you one of the best advices my dad ever gave me. My dad. Now, he's been in heaven now since uh, 20 March of 2019, May of 2019. And here's one of the things I remember my dad telling me, and he was a good, solid Christian. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, and my dad was one of those that I could go to and we'd talk and we, we would commune with each other. And if I got a tough time, uh, uh, I mean, I always went to dad. I'd go to mom too, but I mean, me and dad were close. And I'd say, Dad, uh, uh, why? Why did this happen? Here's what my dad would always say. God bless him. Why not? First time he said that to me, I'm, 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 what do you mean, why not? Boy, that's cold. That's cold. He said, you understand the kind of world we live in, right? I'm like, well, I guess it's a sinful, sin-sick world, isn't it? And he's like, yes, it is, Rich. And he says, when tragedy comes, when hard times come, why shouldn't they come? Why should any of us be exempt from going through tough and hard times? And I'd say, why? And he'd say, in God's sovereignty, why not? And I said, well, because I don't agree with it. (laughs) He said, that's not a very good answer. When God allows something to happen, and folks, if you're one of God's people, Let's go back to that verse that many of us quote over and over and over again, but when tough times come, we kind of want to rewrite it. What happens to those who love God? To those that are called according to His purpose? All things work for good. You know the verse. We all quote it until something goes bad. Then it's like, man. And God said, listen, it's still just as true. Though you may not understand it, though you may not like it, though you may not embrace what has happened in your life, God says, I love you, and I care about you. And yes, it's tough, and yes, it's hard, but it's for my purpose. It's for my reason. Take your Bibles. I don't have it up on the screen, and I don't know if I'll get past this particular part this morning. But I want to go to John chapter 11. Many of you know this particular account of the death of Lazarus. And as often when I'm studying, and again, I, I basically already stated, I doubt I'll get through a whole lot more than this passage, and I had about six more verses to go through this morning. But I want us to take a moment and go through one of the most heart-wrenching scenarios that Jesus himself went through. It's one of the most beautiful, outright passages on the comfort of God and one of the most horrible circumstances that we go through in life. Again, take your Bibles, please. It won't be on the screen. John chapter 11, let's start at verse uh, 1. Verse 1, John 11. Now a certain man was sick. 
Lazarus of Bethany. Now, Bethany, by the way, if you remember where Jerusalem is and where the Mount of Olives is, just about a half a mile up the road, the big tall hill, if you've been following along on some of our studies here. And Bethany was just a little bit past, if you will, where the Mount of Olives is, so very close to Jerusalem where the temple was. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and, his, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you what? You love is sick. Now Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were a close, uh, obviously had a close relationship with Jesus. And, and, and Mary is saying, listen, Martha's saying, I know Jesus. I know the miracles that he's done. I know the healings that he's done. I know the crippled that he's healed. I know the blind that he's given sight to. I know even people that are dead that Jesus himself raised to life. By the way, why did Jesus do all those miracles? It was to document who he was. Yes, it uh, uh, made a lot of people happy, but it documented that this truly is the Messiah. This truly is the Lord. It authenticated who Christ was. And uh, uh, she calls him up, basically. She gets a message to him. She didn't come on the phone. They didn't have a phone yet. But uh, she gets word to Jesus. Listen, uh, Jesus, my brother, he's, he's bad sick. You need to come. You need to help him. You need to heal him. She loved her brother, and she knew Jesus loved him. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So it's a tight-knit group. They loved each other. Verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, what did he do? He said, I'm not going yet. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, speaking of Jesus, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Well, wait a minute. Let's just, let's just park there for a moment. They want to kill you, Jesus. Why are you going to go back there? You don't want to go where they want to kill you. They're, they're, they're going to stone you. They're going to kill you. And uh, we give you a little recommendation here that that's not the neighborhood you want to go to. Well, what does Jesus say? Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Hmm, I wonder who he's talking about here. Of course, himself. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus, what? Sleeps. Now, of course, in, in scriptural terms, when he's talking about sleeping, what is he really talking about? He's dead. I mean, Lazarus is dead. Catch this. His sisters call, get to not call, I keep wanting to use our modern term. His sisters get word to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you need to come quickly. Lazarus, the one whom you love. Mm. Trying to give him a little bit of motivation there. You love this guy. You need to come here and heal him. He said, no, not coming. You think Jesus knew what was going to happen? Is Jesus all-knowing? Is he um, um, omniscient, all-knowing? Of course he is. Verse 10, uh, verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, My friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now he's speaking what? Metaphorically to the disciples. And uh, the disciples weren't always as sharp as sometimes we think they are, and we'll see it in verse 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. 
Let them sleep. Let them, you know, you usually sleep. You feel better after a day or two. And uh, they didn't get it. Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke, now he plainly says it, of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, that Jesus said to them plainly, gentlemen, Lazarus, my friend, is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. You see, if Jesus would have been there, what would he have done? He would have healed him on the spot, right? I mean, he, he had that ability. Obviously, he's God. He can do what he wants if he wanted to heal him. They wouldn't see what they're about to take part in. Mary and Martha, they're distraught. My brother's dead. They're crying. They're beside themselves. The family is, is upset. And they look at Jesus. Now, follow what we're going to see here in just a moment. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? And they're going to get on Jesus. Why didn't you come here? Why didn't you do what we knew you should have done? What's wrong with you? And they're going to get on God. Do we ever do the same thing? We do. Verse 12, And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus, verse 14, said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Verse 16, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go up that we may die with him. Here, here's Thomas. <laughs> These guys, boy, if they'd ever get it right, huh? And Thomas said, listen, Jesus is going to go up there. I know what's going to happen. They're going to slaughter him. They're going to kill him when he gets into that place. I guess, you know, let's do the right thing. Let's go up there. We're going to get killed with him. Might as well support our friend, and uh, we'll go up there and die with him. I mean, that was their, that was their thought. This is it. We're going to go die up there. Uh, uh, verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus had been bound up. He'd been put in the grave clothes. The spices had been applied to his body, as was custom with Jewish burials, and they had him inside the tomb. Four days, four long days, Mary and Martha had been weeping and crying, and the family had been agonizing, and the friends had been agonizing. Verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. What did they do? They comforted them. Listen, when uh, uh, folks pass here, when we lose somebody that we love and we care about, isn't it the right thing to comfort those that are suffering and hurting and going through these painful times? And I like that the, the Lord puts that in there, in this account, because people were distraught. They were hurting. They'd gone through a tough time, a hard time, and the folks had come, and they gathered around these two uh, little ladies that were, whose hearts were broken, and they were there to do what? To comfort them and to help them because they just lost their brother. Verse 20, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we know the Lord Jesus Christ is the omniscient one, the omnipotent one, the all-knowing one, the all-powerful one. 
And when tragedy comes in, whether it's death or another tragedy, maybe it's a job loss, maybe it's a, a, a problem within your family or with one of your children or with work or with school, and all of a sudden you get into a depression or a anger or a bitterness, and what's the first thing you do as one of God's people instead of falling on our face and saying, oh, Lord, I need your help right now, we lash out at him. Why did you let this happen? That's exactly what she did. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So even though she's mad at him, even though she's upset at the Lord himself, she says, listen, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of doing. And she's kind of doing a little hint here. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last days. I know that's happening. I know my Bible. I know my scripture. I know 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 54 says that every single person that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, one day in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed and receive that glorified body. He says, I know that. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews were with her in the house and comforting her. When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Four days had passed. Her heart's still broken. And by the way, let's get this straight, folks. When somebody loses a loved one, don't expect in four days that they're going to rise up and, oh, yeah, everything's fine now. It's not. Don't expect in one week that it's going to change. Don't expect that even though my mom died 16 years ago that I'm still not on occasion going to have a little soft spot in my heart and think about mom 16 years later. For some of you, it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. You never forget. And by the way, you shouldn't forget. And, and we still have that softness. Don't expect people uh, after someone has gone through a tragedy to pop back like normal. Folks, it may take a year. It may take several years sometimes for people to pop back. Now, we try and encourage them, we try and help them, but it's not easy. Verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was in Psalm, she fell down at his feet saying to him, how does she approach Jesus? She is distraught, she is in anguish, she is in, and I think I can use the word here, great depression. And she falls down at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How could you do this to us? It's, it's our brother. It's the guy that you, I mean, you love this guy. We know you do. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Did Jesus have emotion? I mean, we're talking God here. Did God himself have emotion? 
And he's exercising it here. You say, well, uh, Brother Rich, sometimes, uh, uh, and, and I don't like doing it, but sometimes uh, uh, the Lord will, will touch my spirit or my heart or whatever you want to call it, and, and I'll get a little emotional up here. It doesn't happen a lot, but uh, maybe more than it should, but it happens. And all of a sudden, God touches you, and, and it's like you just can't get away from it. And you think about people, and you love people, and you go through a tough scenario, and some tears may come to your eyes, but here she is. She's distraught. She's weeping. The people are weeping, and Jesus groans in the spirit. He's troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? Where is he? Where's my friend Lazarus? Where, 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 where did you put him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see, verse 35, it's the verse every Awana kid wants, two, two words, shortest verse in the Bible. But it's one of the most powerful. What's the Bible say? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Overcome with emotion, Jesus weeps. Now, if you listen to many different messages, I'll come up with 60 different reasons why Jesus wept here. I think contextually we know exactly why Jesus wept. He was grieving for the family. He was grieving for Lazarus. He was loving on the people. As he watched them weep, all of a sudden his heart said, as it does in the Scriptures, that weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And all of a sudden Jesus himself begins to weep. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. That's never re re rebutted in, in it. It just, that's it. See how he loved him. Verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? All right, now, now, you, got the, now you got the naysayers. Yeah, yeah, this guy, he's, he, he talked a good game. He did all this great stuff. He didn't do it here. And they start to get down on Jesus. Well, what takes place? Verse 38, then Jesus, after groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away that stone. Take it away. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now, folks, not to be gross, not to be unkind here, but uh, that body, as soon as it dies, it begins to deteriorate. And it's going to start decomposing. And in the hot Jerusalem sun, it's going to happen rather rapidly. And she's like, don't do that. Don't, don't embarrass my, my brother. Don't be disrespectful to my brother. Uh, don't do it. It's not going to smell good. And, and we don't, I don't want to smell that. We don't want the other people. This is disrespectful, basically, is what she's saying. Let, let him alone. Let him alone. Jesus said to her, verse 40, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? <laughs> here it comes one of the greatest accounts in scripture verse 41 then they took away the stone from the place where the dead the what man dead four days dead so much so that his body is decomposing and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said and he's going to pray now he's talking to the father and he says father I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So he's talking to the crowd. He's praying. They see him weeping. And now he says, pull that stone away. Roll that stone away. And, and, and now we're going to see a miracle of God take place. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
What happens, folks? Did Lazarus come forth? Hold bound up. Here he comes. <laughs> Here he comes. Verse 44, And he who had died came out and bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now, folks, what does this teach us? And we'll close with this. Here we have an absolute, bonafide, documented scenario of what takes place. And it goes through multiple different emotions from, I can't believe God did this. Why did God forsake me? Why did he allow this to happen? And the people, common reactions when they get something they don't like. They get upset. They get rebellious. They get contentions. They throw stones, if you will, at God himself. And God says, just hang on, folks. Just hang on. Are you ready to see my glory? Are you ready to see what I'm going to do? Some of you are saying, listen, Pastor, good for Lazarus. He, he lived. My loved one is not living. And God says, you better hang on. Don't lose hope. Because there is coming a day when your loved one will be resurrected. Every single person that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God will take them to heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Folks, that's why it's so important that every single one of us, if you've not already placed your faith and trust in Christ, that you do so this morning. Don't put it off. I don't care if you've been here a hundred times or it's your first time here. If you walk out of this building and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you die, you will not go to heaven. That's the truth. You say, well, I can't believe you're so blunt about that. Folks, it would be the most horrible thing in the world for me not to be blunt about something as, re as real as this. You see, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned, Romans 3.23. And if we got what we deserved, according to Romans 6.23, every one of us would spend an eternity in an awful place called the lake of fire or hell, Revelation 21.8. But the good news is, just as Jesus did here, he is the resurrection and the life. And no matter how difficult your time is, whether it's through uh, death or through sickness or through heartache or through sinful things you've been involved in or your family may have been involved in, God says, listen, I've got an eternal place for you, but you've got to place your faith and trust in me. Don't throw stones at me. Don't yell at me. Don't get mad at me. Because Jesus did what? He said, here's how much I love you right there. That's how much he loves you, that cross. So Jesus Christ, God's Son, comes down from heaven, goes to that cross, is buried, and three days later rises from the dead. First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And Jesus said, listen, here's what you need to do. Listen now, here's what you need to do. You see, I've been trying to do it, pastors and preachers and priests and, and my, maybe even loved ones have been telling me, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm, tr I'm trying to get involved in church. I I'm trying to uh, uh, do all the things that I've been told to do, but I still don't know if I die to go to heaven. Well, that's because they've been telling me all the wrong things to do. Here's the right thing. Here's what the Bible says, not what a pastor, priest, family member says. You ready? Here it is. Listen, please. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace... God's free, unmerited gift are you saved. Saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in hell. For by grace are you saved. It's through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of our works, lest any person should boast. You see, this morning as we do uh, regularly for uh, folks that come in and you watch the process, and, and I, I like to refer back to it, when uh, Josh went out and uh, uh, walked down the aisles and, and folks reached out their hands, and he said, listen, i got a free gift here for you. You don't have to pay a dime for it. All you got to do if you want that free gift is reach out and take it. And God says, listen, i got a free gift here for you this morning. i got a free gift. But it's a whole lot more than a little book. It's salvation. It's a place in heaven. And God said, listen, if you place your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you and dying to forgive your sins and embrace that by faith, you also can go to heaven when you die. Final verse, and you know it. John three sixteen. put your name in that. For God so loved the world. Who's the world? Put your name there. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, that if believed in him, believed in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, you will not perish or go to hell, but have everlasting life. Every head bowed, please, every eye closed. Father, I pray now that in this last moment, that, Father, you do some healing work in our hearts. Lord, there's many a Christian sitting here at this moment that has gone through very, very, very difficult, tough scenarios in their life. Maybe it's through job. Maybe it's through someone who betrayed them. Maybe it's through a classmate. Maybe it's through school. Maybe it's through work. Maybe they've experienced losing a loved one. And it's just so hard, Lord. And you brought out through the Scriptures that it is hard and our emotions can get away with our spiritual walk with you. Father, I pray for every single person here that's already placed their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, if they're struggling, if there's bitterness in their heart, if there's angst because of horrible things that they've had to go through, Father, help them to put it, if you will, in your arms at this very moment and take on and let the God of all comfort help them through it, just like Jesus helped Mary and Martha. Thank you, Lord, that you do care, that you do have emotion, that you do want to comfort those who are going through tough times. Father, help us not to fight you, not to scream at you, not to shake our fist at you, but to fall on our face right before Jesus like we saw in the text of Lazarus. Fall on our face and say, Oh God, would you please help me? Would you please help me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? If you're here this morning, have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? If you're to die this very moment, would you go to heaven? You say, Pastor Rich, I'm not sure. I've been going to church. I try. I, I, I think I'm getting it, but I, I don't know that. Well, just a moment ago, we shared with you what's known as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, right there where we are, you can know for sure before you walk out of here this morning that you're heaven and it will be your home. You say, how can I do that? Again, we're all sinners. We all deserve to go to the awful place called hell, the lake of fire. But Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you and gave his life. He died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again. Why would God go through that? It's because he loves you. It's because he wants to take you to heaven when you breathe your last breath. Right there where you are, would you, would you receive that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did? You can't earn it. You can't work your way there. You can only receive it by faith. That's why you've been struggling all these years. Now let's do it God's way. Are you ready to trust Christ by faith? You say, I am. I do want to go to heaven when I die. Well, there you are. Faith is exercising what you can't see. Right there where you are, by faith, receive that free gift. Right there. Do it now. 
Are you receiving it? Well, let's give God a prayer of thanksgiving for what's happening in your heart right now. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I finally understand that the only way I can get to heaven is by placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And as that verse in Ephesians said, I'm now receiving that free gift. Thank you for saving me from sin and the penalty thereof and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, 